0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 93 called Ruth. On today's episode, I'm proud to partner with Circle Surrogacy. Surrogacy and egg donation can feel like an overwhelming process at first, but having an experienced agency to partner with you and guide you through the process can make a world of difference. Circle Surrogacy and egg donation has been making parenthood possible for 25 years, bringing more than 2,200 babies into the world. And what sets Circle apart from other surrogacy agencies is that almost half of the staff have personal experience as a surrogate, a parent through surrogacy, or as an egg donor, or they've grown their families through IVF or adoption. They are passionate about helping others achieve their dreams of having a baby because they've been there themselves. Circle provides exceptional knowledge and experience Fixed costs and financing, and the highest success rate in the business. Learn more at Circlesurrogacy.com and follow them on social media at Circlesurrogacy. Thanks, Circle. Okay, guys. So I am so excited to share this conversation with you today. This woman, her name is Ruth Corden, and she is absolutely fucking incredible. She is a podcast host herself of a show called Finding the Funny. She is an infertility advocate. She is just a wonderful woman. And today we're going to talk about her journey. She's living childless, not by choice. So we're going to talk about how she got there over the last eight plus years. And we're covering everything from PCOS to miscarriage, to mental health, to feeling desperately sad, to her siblings who have kids, including her brother, who you may know as talk show host... James Gordon. And we're going to talk about all these things. She's so interesting. She's obviously very funny. She is talking about the language that surrounds being childless, not by choice, which I think is a really important thing to talk about. She's saying that she didn't give up on being a mom. She had to let it go. So I'm so grateful that she was super open with me. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this. So thank you to Ruth Thank you all for listening. And without further ado, this is Ruth's infertility story. Ruth, hi. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you for it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Yes. I have to say I sought you out because I saw an article and the headline really struck me. And it said Ruth Corden on infertility. A doctor told me I was too old and fat to get pregnant. And just reading that broke my heart. And I wanted, I was so intrigued with your story. So I reached out to you and you got right back to me. Thank you so much. I want to hear everything. But before we get started, I also want to talk about, you have a podcast too.
1: Yes. Tell me about sis- that. So my sister and I, it, in amongst this like crazy journey, I've I've been sort of thinking about, you know, what's my legacy and, you know, what's not necessarily my plan B, but what's my life. And, and during lockdown, my sister and I started talking, the first lockdown we had in the UK, which was back at the, at the beginning of the year in March,
0: mm-hmm. my
1: sister and I started FaceTiming multiple times a day. And we, really found that we brought quite a lot of joy in that really difficult time. And we just decided, hey, look, why don't, why don't we hit record on one of these chats? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we did. We're just really excited. And, you know, who knows where it'll go. it will go? You never know with this stuff, do you? But, yeah, it's called Finding the Funny. And it's just my sister and I, it doesn't matter if you're American, you'll you'll still get it as well. We just talk about all the things that we find funny about everyday life. So it's mm-hmm. very observational. We have a few segments. We do a thing called the big questions, which can be anything from what shall I get my husband for his 40th birthday, mm-hmm. right the way through to is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a kind of like All right, is low it? Let's let's settle
0: that right here and now. Is it? Is a hot dog a sandwich? Um,
1: I don't know. I, <laughs> I feel like that's too complex a question. I mean, it, technically, I suppose it is. It's a filling between... Two bits of bread?
0: <laughs> I'm going to give you an emphatic no. It's it's not a sandwich. Okay. I don't think so. That's my opinion.
1: Um, so, um, yes, yeah, so we just we just talk about things that are, are very silly. It's half an hour. It's, it's out every week. It's only about 35 minutes long. And it, we just want to just... Bring some joy. We do have some serious chats as well. We end every episode with a bit more of a serious conversation. We cover cover everything from like we've talked about infertility, we've talked about baby loss, mm-hmm. um, we've talked about loneliness and mental health, and mm-hmm. so we we just try and cover a whole load of topics. But it's very light hearted. You don't need to really concentrate. Yeah, it's it's just us two.
0: Yeah. And reading the description of it, it's like you're finding the funny in the shit that is life. (laughs) Basically.
1: That's it. That is just us chatting shit for half an hour a week.
0: I love it. That's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) That's why I'm doing this too. Like I just love shooting the shit with people. So you did mention that you do talk about infertility and baby loss on there. So can you tell me about your individual journey? Like when, when did you, you know, meet your husband? Did you always want to have kids? I love to start with those questions.
1: Yeah. So my husband and I met in uh, 2010. So we've been together 10 years now Mm -hmm. and we very quickly moved in together. We'd only been dating a couple of months and we moved in together, not because we sort of Necessarily thought that it was like an epitome. It just made sense. He he was twenty six. I was twenty eight at the time. You know, we weren't like teenagers, and we just thought, hey, look, let's jump in with this. If it doesn't work, you know, we didn't buy a house or anything. It was it was you know we just thought if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we were together for a couple of years, and then in two at the end of two thousand twelve, uh, we got married. And we both knew that we wanted to have children. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with children in my everyday job. I've always worked with kids. I love children. So, you know, I, I love kids. I've always known I wanted to be a mum. And we went on our honeymoon in January 2013 and we fell pregnant, not that we knew. Mm-hmm. And the way I actually found out that we were pregnant is I woke up one morning in sort of mid-January of 2013 and I'd completely flooded the bed. And I was quite panicked. I obviously called my doctor went in to see her and she confirmed that I'd had a very early miscarriage. I suppose it might also be called a chemical pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And and I suppose... I kind of sailed into 2013 thinking, "Oh god, we got pregnant." You know, we we stopped using protection, we got pregnant relatively quickly. Right. This is going to happen for us. Yeah,
0: cuz you didn't um, even know you were pregnant, right? Until no, you had this, wow. until,
1: until until it was sort of confirmed when I went to see my doctor.
0: That's kind of a, a like a mind fuck,
1: isn't it? <laughs> like yes, how did that yes. feel? I know, I was, I was like, "Oh god, okay." And I remember feeling really sad after the doctor told me because I was like oh god wow, I don't know how I feel about this like I've never had since you know I've never ever had a positive pregnancy test Mm -hmm. and I didn't even in that moment so I I don't know what that feels like but I remember thinking at the time I felt desperately sad I needed a little bit of time to lick my wounds and think oh god that's a baby that you know could have been but there was also this other side of me that was like yes but look how quickly it's happened this is going to happen for you guys like just get back on the saddle quite literally like you know Mm -hmm. keep going just get just get back on with it and everything will be fine and that isn't the way our story went and actually you know here right now kind of from that moment seven years on eight years on we we are still childless. We, we still don't have children. Mm-hmm. So I think about that pregnancy quite a lot. And I think, gosh, we'd have a, you know, six or seven year old running around now. Like we'd, we'd have a kid like in our lives, mm-hmm. you know, we would, we would be, we would be parents. Um. So anyway, so we, we sort of continued to try and nothing really happened. I've always had very irregular periods, mm-hmm. even in my twenties, you know, my sister and my mum both were like, oh no, I'm like I was like clockwork at your age and I I wasn't really I'd but I I don't think until you really start tracking your periods you get an idea of quite how irregular they are so we continued to try nothing really happened I started to track my periods and I noticed actually I was going sometimes 40 50 60 days without a period wow okay and then I would, I'd come on my period and sometimes I've bled for like 17 or 18 days and this mm-hmm. started to happen. And because I was more aware and I was tracking and we were kind of actively trying for a baby, I thought there's something not quite right here. I'm, I'm going to go to the doctor. So I first went to the doctors when I was sort of 30, mm-hmm. so that's eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. And um, she just told me it's down to your weights. Go away mm. and lose weight and it'll be fine. And I went back on and off for five years. Wow. Still trying for a baby, nothing happening. Desperately trying to sift through kind of medical appointments. Yeah. Desperately knocking on the door of my doctor saying, look, I, I haven't had a period now. I mean, I got to one stage in that five years and I went to, I went to the doctor and I said, I haven't had a period now for 90 days. Oh my God. There's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. And, and I did stumbled.
0: They, I'm sorry. On. Did they ever give you any other tests or were they just like, it's your weight? Like, like they just attributed it to that, like no other
1: so blood they panels did, or anything. Yeah, so they did do kind of some hormone testing and it would all come back normal. They, but what they never did until I stumbled across this GP at 35, who it was just fluke. I phoned my doctor And I said, I want to come and have another discussion about my periods. And I happened to see this doctor who has obviously worked at the surgery I go to for a really, really long time. And I'd never seen her. Mm -hmm. But I walked in and I actually burst into tears. And I was like, I basically said, I'm not leaving here until we get to the bottom of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because in amongst those five years, we had had countless negative pregnancy tests. Mm -hmm. My mental health was suffering. It Mm -hmm. was like a complete minefield. I was, you know, I sort of alluded to in the article that, you know, continuing to try for a baby while you're still reeling from the last negative pregnancy test Mm -hmm. is horrendous. Yeah. And I just, I I sort of walked into this particular appointment, I burst into tears and I said, we need to do whatever we need to do to get to the bottom of what's going on. And she listened and she said, okay, I can see you've had blood tests, but you haven't had the scans that go alongside that. And here in the UK, I don't know what it's like in the States, but to get diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is what I've got, you Mm -hmm. have to go through tests, blood tests. And scans to kind Mm -hmm. of marry up the two. So there's polycystic ovaries, which is cysts on the ovaries. And then there's the syndrome, which means your hormones are out of kilter and a bit imbalanced. And so I had them done side by side. And lo and behold, it was like, yes, your ovaries have got loads of cysts on them. Yes, your hormones are not correct. Yes, Mm -hmm. you know, you meet the criteria, you've got polycystic ovarian syndrome.
0: So it must have felt good to finally get a diagnosis, right? Because yes. then you're like, okay, now we can make a plan. And but I were you like frust- I was
1: going insane before that.
0: Right. But were you frustrated and like pissed that like, how come nobody ever mentioned this to me before? Like, had you ever heard of PCOS?
1: I'd heard of it, but I didn't really know much about it. But I mm-hmm. remember when I went for my transvaginal scan, which is as lovely as it sounds. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, gorgeous. I, I, uh, the, while the radiographer was doing it, she said, oh yeah, she said, look, you have got lots and lots and lots of cysts on both your ovaries," she said. "I'm not concerned about them. I'm, you know, I don't think there's anything more sinister going on. But you've told me about your periods. You've got lots and lots of cysts. I'm pretty sure your hormones are going to come back not great. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, they came back not great. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, 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 my hormones are imbalanced. But in amongst that five years, I was like, I honestly felt like I was going mad. Mm-hmm. Anybody who has. PCOS out there will know it plays havoc with your anxiety. It still does for me. It mm-hmm. is a really misunderstood condition. Uh, people don't really know why it happens and you, you sort of, yeah, I felt like I was going a bit mad and I was like, yeah. God, this isn't right. 90 days without a period is not right.
0: Did they tell you that, you know, since it's a syndrome, it can, it looks different in different people. Yes, you know, exactly. you, not everybody has the same symptoms. Not yeah. everybody has the same results from other yeah. tests and, I'd love to talk more about the mental health bit of it for you, if you don't mind and the anxiety, like what did it, what did you feel like? Like were you, was it like, you don't want to get out of bed, you're feeling depressed or was it just anxiety or.
1: It's, It's anxiety really. I, I, I definitely am an overthinker. I, I found a quote on Instagram the other week, and it said, "I'm all panic and no disco," and that is me. Like I'm all like, oh my god,
0: balls. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that before,
1: and it was just like, <laughs> oh god, yeah, I'm all panic and no disco. And I think, you know, when your hormones are imbalanced and when they're off kilter, you know, women who have who have a normal range of hormones find their period's stressful, feel like their emotions are all over the place. Women with PCOS are sort of living in that haze quite a lot of the time. And because we it can take so long for the hormones to kick in enough to release an egg. And for, you know, I know I've had periods where I haven't ovulated. Like what is like that in itself is like what I'm bleeding. Mm -hmm. I've been using a device that's been tracking my temperature while I sleep. And it has told me I haven't ovulated. Mm -hmm. I haven't ovulated. So, all of those kind of that release of hormones that that women feel once ovulation has happened and then the build-up in the second phase of your cycle to your period you sort of feel like you're living with that LH phase the second part after you've ovulated all the time Mm -hmm. because it's like my body can almost get close to pushing the egg out and then my hormones drop again and it doesn't quite do it so you're living in that cycle of like almost there almost ovulating no hasn't happened almost Mm. there so all those feelings of like emotional, snappy, mood mm-hmm. swings, anxious, all the things that you feel as a woman in a kind of normal and in inverted, commas cycle. People with PCOS are sort of living that week on week on week on week while their body tries to create enough hormones to send it around the body to tell the body, okay, you need to release an egg now, and then to send and then to start that cycle again to say, okay, shed the womb, the eggs dropped, there's no baby. Mm-hmm. Here's a period. So I think also that the really hard thing is, is if you go, if you're trying for a baby and you go 90 days without a period, you just tell yourself you're pregnant, right? Right. (laughs) You live in this like, I know I've stopped my period coming through telling myself I'm pregnant because I've done pregnancy tests and that afternoon I've got my period and I've been like, oh, thanks a lot, Mother Nature, you bitch. Yes. (laughs) Um, So So. I, I just think it's this like constant haze, constantly bloated, like, just and the the way that plays havoc with you trying to navigate your everyday life, right? And have enough sex to make a baby, right? And have constant negative pregnancy tests, and be told by medical practitioners this is all your fault, is because you're fat. Like Ugh. all of those things combined in the same space, just make you feel like a bit of a failure. Really, this totally. make you feel like you're undeserving of what everybody else has got. Of
0: mm-hmm. course,
1: you don't really deserve it because. Yeah. It's, it's all down to your weight. And so I just remember feeling, I think lost is probably the word that I would use in that five years. I felt yeah. like I didn't really know why it wasn't happening. I watched mm-hmm. all of my friends feel like they shook hands and had a baby. Right. <laughs> um, and did your sister have kids? Yeah. So I've got, I've got a brother and a sister. Right. My brother has got three children. Yeah. So my sister's the oldest. She's got a boy and a girl they're kind of 17 and 14 and then my brother's got three kids okay and then nine six and nearly three
0: Uh uh-huh okay
1: so they've got five between them
0: so were you ever able to talk to either of them and we should mention your brother james people might know in the states has a talk show and yeah so were you got were you able to talk about it with either of them or is it like where were you going for support
1: so for a really long time i did the classic no i don't really want kids like I had distinct conversations with everybody in my family where I was like, no, nah, I don't think I want kids. And behind closed doors, I was like bawling my eyes out. You know, I, I was kind of watching everybody else get what they wanted. And I don't know. I look back now and I am quite a heart on my sleeve person. Mm-hmm. And I look back now and I think, God, what was it about this that I couldn't talk about? Mm. And I think for like so many couples who have been through this, there's a certain shame that comes with it. There's a certain like, God, why is it us? Why can't we do the one thing that really humans are put on the earth to do, which is, you know, recreate humans, right? Everybody else around us is doing it. God, lots of people are on their second, like, you know, how, I think to actually open your mouth and say, yeah, do you know what God, we've been trying for at that point, I don't know, two, three years, and it hasn't happened. I just didn't feel able to talk about it. And then I suppose one day I just, I can't, I can't even remember what the kind of trigger was to open up about it, but I just remember thinking, God, what am I doing? Why am I hiding this from people who love and care about me the most in the world? Why are those people not, why am I not letting them into this? Mm -hmm. And for me, and this is obviously a really personal choice. And I know lots and lots of couples who don't feel able to do it. And that's totally fine. And I think one thing I'd love to say is that, you you know, that that classic statement, you do you. And I think that's the thing we've got to get used to in the fertility community. Like Mm -hmm. not everyone's going to go for treatment. Not everyone's going to want to share it with their nearest and dearest. Not everyone's going to want to talk about it. And Mm -hmm. actually that's totally fine because this is such a personal intimate journey and the only two people that are responsible for that are you and your partner. So, I got to the stage and I I actually sent my family an email and just said, "Look, I just want to we just want to lay it on the line really honestly with you. We've been trying for a baby for a couple of years. It hasn't worked. I'm in the process of getting tests." And I think there was probably a relief for them because they thought, "Oh, okay, at last. You know she's been putting and I think my mum and dad and my siblings probably knew it was complete BS that I was saying I didn't want kids. Like, right. Because like, they're like, We
0: know you, we've yeah, grown up with you. I think they You're... were just
1: like, This is yeah. bollocks, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Um I think once I talked about it, there was a understanding and a realization, and I think it's really hard, isn't it? It's hard for parents, it's hard for siblings, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to love somebody so dearly. And watch them not get the thing that they desperately want.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: And I think it's a hard journey for family and friends to walk with you. Yeah. And so I think there was a relief when I kind of talked about it. And then it just sort of became, you know, more open. We, Owned it a bit more. I mean, I'm really fortunate now. I don't think either of my siblings. My sister's definitely not going to have any more children. She's like mid forties. I'm pretty sure James is done. Mm-hmm. So, kind of immediate pregnancy announcements. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty done, and I and I think there is something comforting in that because I know where I'm at now with my family, don't I? I'm like, well, my sister's got two, and my brother's got three. I adore being an auntie. I love yes. all five of my nieces and nephews. Like, yes. I love the bones of them. I'd walk barefoot to London and back for them like (laughs) I would do anything for them you know and it's it's the closest thing I've got to children right and I just yeah I love all of them so much and would do anything for them in a heartbeat
0: yeah how has it been during the pandemic with you're probably not getting not getting to see the ones that are in LA right yeah
1: it's been really hard we FaceTime a lot and we you know we've got a family WhatsApp group like like most people and right. obviously they're too young to be part of that but it's a nice way to check in and you totally. know see how everybody's doing and yeah and you know I think I, you know, I feel for my brother as well. You know, and and his wife—they're—they're they're not American. They're both British. Our parents aren't particularly young; young. They're not really old, but you know, so for them, it's—it's it's been really hard. I think like not—they mm-hmm. would normally come back summer and Christmas time. They always come back twice a year. Right. Um, they spend quite a long time here in the summer. They always come back for at least ten days or two weeks at Christmas. They both mm-hmm. love Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's really difficult, isn't it? When yeah. when that stuff stops. And yes,
0: definitely. No,
1: and they've got a great community in Los Angeles. They've sure. got great friends, but it's not the same as your family, is it? Exactly. It's not the same as your mom and dad and your siblings. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. Can uh, I ask you too, Ruth? And you don't have to go into this if you don't want to, but like, how is it? How was it on your marriage? Because I've been really vocal about how yeah. my husband and I, when we were going through this, we really, really hit kind of rock bottom, like a place mm-hmm. where at one point we were like, are we going to make it? Mm. and you know we've been together since we were 16 we're mm. like high school sweethearts but you know it was it was really hard and I know it's hard on a lot of relationships so I'd love to hear if you don't mind you know how that affected you and your husband Matthew
1: I think I had to really quickly learn that Matthew and I grieve and talk about things and deal with things in very different ways mm-hmm. we are classic male female stereotypes I'm Mm -hmm. an external processor I'm like grab all my girlfriends pour me a glass of wine let's sit and chat this through that's how
0: I am too are you like is your love language words of affirmation yes same
1: (laughs) (laughs) and gifts like the very public displays of like I love you I think you're you know I am an ex Externally processing extroverts. Uh huh. And Matthew is an internally processing introvert. Yes.
0: <laughs> My husband's um, love language is acts of service. And I'm like, okay, he'd rather me like unload the dishwasher than like. <laughs> tell him that I love him, you know?
1: (laughs) So Matthew's physical touch, okay. (laughs) but he is, he, and I remember I stumbled, there's an amazing website. You'll definitely be able to get it in the U S as well. It's, it's it's called saltwater and honey. And it's, it's a, it's four, it's two couples who have all faced infertility and Mm -hmm. they explore the effects of childlessness and faith actually. So, Mm. but it's, it's not overtly like Christian. They're not going to try. I really want to check that out. Okay. Yeah. So they, and they write blog posts and they're, phenomenal they're on Instagram as well and, and they are just two beautiful couples and I found one particular day where we'd I was convinced I was pregnant I had told myself I'd filled my basket on many websites with loads of stuff I'd planned the announcement I was like this is it this is it yeah and I took a pregnancy test that morning and it was negative and <sighs> it floored me I remember actually lying on my bathroom floor in the fetal position, like, you know, when you cry and you're like, where did that sound come from? I've never created a sound like that before. I was like uh, sobbing.
0: Yes. Um, Actually, that's so funny that you said that because I had a moment like that where I was literally on the bathroom floor after – Miscarriage number whatever, yeah. and I actually made myself laugh because I was like, Ooh, like, and, yeah. I, and I was like, and I was like, what the <laughs> Where fuck? Where
1: <did> <laughs> come from? It's like, oh my god, I didn't realize I could create. And I was like, I feel
0: noise. like I'm like being so dramatic, and like I'm in a movie, and it made me crack up, like, because <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. But I know exactly what you mean. That like yeah. guttural like oh, feeling.
1: God, I just and I got back into bed. And I could, you know, Matthew was crying too. Anyway, that Mm. day I stumbled across Saltwater and Honey and I found a blog post that like completely spoke to me and I read it out loud to him and he hardly like made a murmur and I lost it. I was like, Mm. I I was like, basically (laughs) I was just like, fuck you. Like you, you never engage in these conversations with me. You can't, like, I really need you to do this and this. And he was like, and he basically was like, okay, but I'm not you. Mm-hmm. and you, you needed all of that shit and you needed all of that stuff but I'm not you and it's interesting because I've had quite a few messages from mainly women on Instagram that that's my kind of main you know following and, and yes. I've had quite a few messages from women saying I don't know how to get my husband to open up and I message back saying you can't you've got to give him permission to deal with this the way that he needs to you you've, you've got to like back off in a way you've you've got you know you've got to allow him permission to go through this and just because he's not sobbing on the floor or overtly looking stuff up or talking to you about it 24 7 it doesn't mean it's not hurting him yeah And I sort of feel like that moment with that blog post was a catalyst for us because I had been desperately shaking Matthew, saying, for God's sake, talk to me. mm -hmm. And he had been pushing me away, saying, for God's sake, let me deal with this myself.
0: Yeah, it's such a Um, good
1: point. And I think. One thing that didn't come up in the article, but while we were sort of going through all this stuff, it's, it's too big a conversation for this now, but it came out that Matthew was harboring a secret dr- drug addiction. So we're in this like mess of trying to get through inf- infertility and, and I find out that he's, you know, secretly using drugs. Interesting oh, wow. type of time in our life. But I think that spoke that spoke volumes to me about how Matthew was trying to handle this stuff. Yeah, And he just needed me to say, and that day, when he all his like drug addiction had come out by that point, and we we'd worked through it, and we were in a much better place, we'd had loads of therapy. We've had mm-hmm. together as couples and individually. We've had loads of therapy, and I think in that moment, I was like, God, Ruth, you've got to leave him alone. You've like you've got to let him go to his cave if he needs to. You've got to let him. And I sort of said to myself, if you need to externally process this, you need to find ways that you do that, that involve or don't involve him. Because I was basically putting all my shit on him and saying, you're going to deal with this this, the same way I am. And he was like, whoa, 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 I don't deal with stuff like that.
0: Right. Such so a good point. I
1: think it's a, and, and one thing that sort of I start saying to couples now is when they message me is what about having a tub somewhere in your house where you can write down how you're feeling and put it in there? Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes having to look somebody in the eye or sit down and have a massive chat, it just doesn't work for some people. So yeah. if you have a tub with a pad by it, you can then say to your husband or your wife or whoever it is. I've been struggling with something this week. I've, I've chucked it in the tub. Have a read of it, will you? And when you're ready to talk about it, can we just have a chat?
0: And I, I think that.
1: it takes away the sting of like, God, we've got to have a big conversation about this. I've got to psych myself up. Completely. We're going to have a chat after work. We're going to sit down. It's all going to be serious. And, right. and you can write that stuff down. And then you can have nights or afternoons or you say, look, should we just go through what's in the tub? Is there a couple of things we need to talk about? Let's pick something out, you know? But I think for me, Mm -hmm. I had to learn that Matthew needed permission to deal with with this stuff the way that he needed to. And just Mm -hmm. because he isn't sobbing every five minutes, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt him.
0: Absolutely. Um, But I I also
1: think your sex life is just like, you know, it it becomes like just all encompassing. And I think what people don't understand that haven't kind of walked this stuff is just how it seeps into every single area of your Mm -hmm. life whether that's somebody at work going on maternity leave right the way through to my husband and I have just, you know, done a round of IVF and it's Mm -hmm. not worked. Like Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's so, it's such a misunderstood journey really. So just
0: continuing with your story Mm. and the chronology of it all. So, so what happened? So So you found this doctor. We got
1: this, we got this, I got this diagnosis and I was like, amazing. She referred me to, obviously, we are really fortunate in the u k that we have the national health service um mm-hmm. and some couples, although it's quite unequal, but some couples can get at least one round or a couple of rounds of i v f on the n h s so we are you know we fast forwarded now we're sort of like at the end of i think by this point we're probably at the end of maybe two thousand and seventeen or okay. like mid two thousand and seventeen in january twenty eighteen we went for our a fertility appointment at, with a doctor on the NHS and we were in this consulting room I'm 35 by this point so I'm by no mm-hmm. means old mm-hmm. and we're in this consultation room and we're having a conversation and and he's talking to me about kind of my periods and stuff and then I said to him look you know what are the chances of us kind of being able to pursue some treatment on the NHS and he just looked blankly at me and he said oh no hasn't your doctor told you you're too old for NHS for, for IVF in this area. And uh, I'm like, right. Okay. And then he said, Oh, and by the way, you're you're too fat as well, probably. Uh, <laughs> and I just remember like, I was like, okay. Oh um, and then from then we spoiled into a conversation about me having a gastric band.
0: Oh gosh. And I
1: was okay. like, oh my God, like I've come here to talk about the potential of me being a mum. Right. And you're talking to me about. An operation that isn't your specialist area, and you've owned that. Right. You've then gone on to say, because I was getting quite upset at this point, and I said, "So if I lost weight, because because also within these five years, I should just say I did lose six stone, and nothing about my periods changed." Wow. At all. Yeah. So I said to him, so if you're telling me I have a gastric band and I lose weight, will you guarantee my PCOS will go. And he said, well, no, I can't because you can have PCOS when you're not overweight. And I was like, right then. So we're still going to be in the same place. We're right. still going to be at a point where my body can't do what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I would go. And then and then he basically said, well, my advice to you is to get a gastric band. Although once you've had the surgery, you can't try for a baby for 18 months and there's no mm-hmm. guarantee it will work anyway. So and I just remember staring oh, at him thinking, oh my God, like you're a doctor, you're a gynecologist, like you, you are meant, you're you're a fertility expert, you are meant to be comforting and kind and have these honest conversations with people. He tried to say that I definitely needed to be weighed and I was sort of crying at this point saying to him, why do you need to weigh me? You've already told me I'm too fat, like what, oh. what is... Wait, and then the nurse actually refused to weigh me on the basis of my emotional presentation and said, I don't think it's fair. Yes. And we oh walked out of that appointment and the only way I can describe it is the sort of ache that I had in my heart like as we drove home. I, I will never forget that deep, deep feeling of mm-hmm. loss and shame and like just thinking, God, this is all my fault. I'm a complete failure He didn't acknowledge Matthew really at all apart from in the consultation when he turned to Matthew and said, well, you're not the problem because you've got brilliant swimmers. (laughs) I just remember thinking, God, this is all my fault. Matthew, if he'd married somebody else, he'd be a dad by now. This is all on me. I felt totally alone. I felt like my whole existence was like there was no point I was like what and and that continued for the next kind of 18 months so from January 2018 kind of through to the middle of 2019 so Mm -hmm. back back last year and I just I can't honestly describe how it felt I, I just remember feeling the loneliest I've ever felt in my life I just felt like I didn't fit in society I felt like I just didn't know what life looked like anymore. Mm-hmm. I just thought, God, this is it now. I'm, you know, i What, what are we gonna do? You know, what? How, how are we gonna cope? How are we gonna get through this time? What's it gonna be like if we never have a family? Like, if we can't grow our family, like, what is that gonna feel for us? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of eighteen months of, you know, n- not no joy, but really struggling to find any sort of joy, really.
0: Yeah. And
1: feeling really, like, broken, heart, heartbroken, really, just like this thing had been whipped from underneath me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I felt so left out. I felt so left behind. I just, yeah, I just, yeah, it, it was really, really bleak. I'm so sorry, Ruth. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
0: what did you do? He... Like, were you able to find, like, support groups? Or I know you've said you've done, gone to therapy and stuff. Like,
1: how did you... How how did you deal with that? I just, I don't know. I just, I probably didn't deal with it very well, actually. I Mm -hmm. I probably, looking back now, wasn't very kind to myself or, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I cried a lot. I I remember like most days crying, whether that was because there'd been a pregnancy announcement or Mm -hmm. um, I felt like people who hadn't experienced it didn't understand. And I suppose it was in that sort of time that I found this kind of, community on instagram that was sort mm-hmm. of starting to emerge or it felt to me they've probably it had probably been emerging for long before that but there was something there was a there was a space that said yeah god you're welcome here we mm-hmm. get it like we know what this is like we know what it feels like yeah i did actually find a clinic in the uk that would have treated me even though I had a high BMI I, I did find a clinic and you know treatment for us isn't completely off the table it's quite it's quite it's almost off the table but it's it's not completely gone yet for us mm-hmm. and I, I I think I just I honestly don't know how I got through it I suppose I look back and I muddled my way through yeah I don't know how I continued to put one foot in front of the other yeah. I don't really know how I survived it I I don't Like, it felt like the longest, bleakest winter I've ever lived through. Mm, Yeah. Um, You know, dark all the time cold mm-hmm. you know those horrible winter nights where you can't catch your breath because it's so cold that is really from that that january right the way through to the summer of last year those 18 m- months felt very 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 dark very bleak
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what changed in the summer was that so, when you started finding instagram and
1: you no, know, it's so weird we we Got left some inheritance by Matthew's nan, and we bought a house. And for the f- so, we were in rented accommodation for the whole of our marriage since we'd sort of started, you know, being together. Mm-hmm. And we bought this house, and there was like, I don't know, it was ours. It was, we owned it, it mm. like it belongs to us. I felt like for me I'd sort of grown up I'd come of age it was like oh god I can't be in the mummy club but I can talk about making mortgage payments now you yeah like, yeah it was like I, I don't know there was this
0: well, something to nurture something yeah
1: to, like, to a security, like a secure your energy and yeah and we could it was a blank canvas and yeah we could decorate it the way we wanted we could have discussions about what we were going to do with our house this wasn't we weren't paying money every month for somebody else to have a house it was ours yeah and there was a really Defining moment for me that was like, this is ours and it belongs to us, and nobody can take it away from us. If we continue making these payments every month, this will continue to be ours. Like, we're not going to get evicted, we're not going to get kicked out, we haven't got a landlord wanting to do inspections. This belongs to us. And there was something for me-like a new season, almost like a new joy of like, oh wow, like. I, I didn't think I'd get this yet, and I've got it. Like I, I've got it, and I started to, I suppose, you know, look beyond motherhood and. Mm-hmm. Look, let's be honest when I die there isn't going to be anybody at my funeral talking about how many kids I pushed out of my vagina that's not <laughs> going to be the thing that's coming up right I'm <laughs> going to be talking about the person I am and mm-hmm. and and the way I treated people and how kind I was and what I did for my neighbor and you know how I helped people out nobody's going to stand around going, oh god well she didn't have any kids so she completely failed at life
0: oh my god so you're so I've, right
1: I started to have to find this new narrative that said okay in the midst of all of this pain and despair Ruth you've got a choice you have a choice in this and you can choose to you know live a life that shuts the door behind you every night and you sob and it's dark and it's bleak or you can choose to say god where's the joy in this how can I how can I live differently and it's almost it's just over a year ago Matthew and I so October last year we were just in our bedroom chatting talking things through I was crying I think Matthew was crying as well and Mm -hmm. I just said to him I don't know if I can do this anymore I don't know if I can this this continued cycle of like Mm -hmm. sex negative pregnancy tests sex Mm -hmm. negative pregnancy tests I was like I just don't know. And I suppose the buying of our house and having something else to focus on, you know, when you buy a house, it's massive, isn't it? It's like constantly signing documents. You've got no time to think about anything else. Right. So I suppose that like sort of magic of buying a house, there was something in me that said, God, what could life look like if, if. I, if I take myself out of this struggle for a bit, not, not for good. It, by that point I was definitely like, I'm not giving up on, or I'm not letting this go yeah. for good. Yeah. But there was sort of a struggle of like, okay, Ruth, what happens if you put this down for a bit? What happens yes. if you look at life differently? And yes. we decided in October last year that we were going to stop trying. And that meant for us that we were going to no longer have unprotected sex. And that's really, I know for lots and lots of people in the fertility community, that's such an odd statement because every month it's like, you, you know, you have a period and it's like, oh, that's another egg gone. Yeah. But for me, and I can obviously only talk about my experience for right. me, I had to put a stake in the ground Yeah. and I had to say the old is gone that dark bleak eight-year winter that we've been through this mm-hmm. this complete kind of up and down roller coaster that we've lived through I had to say that's gone that's over that's finished and there's yes. a new beginning and I don't know what life looks like you know when I was when we were having this conversation Matthew and I the back end of last year we were, I was sort of saying to him we don't know what life looks like if we put a stake in the ground but we've never done that before yeah And we'd had moments where we'd stopped trying, where we had stopped trying before, but.
0: This was more definitive. Yeah.
1: And we hadn't used protection. So you just sort of say, well, we're not really trying, but you're still sort of sifting through everything, looking up pregnancy symptoms, telling yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. you're still going on that same rat race, really. Yeah. So the back end of last year, we said, "Okay, enough's enough. And Matthew was, I think, probably as relieved as I was yeah. um, to have that honest and frank conversation because I think he was worried about me. I think yeah. I don't think he really knew how to raise it. I don't think he really knew how to talk about it, but he was he was worried about me. I know yeah. he was. So yeah, October sense. last, so the last 12, 13 months and and probably four or five weeks ago, we started to open up the conversation again of like, mm-hmm. what does this look like? What, mm-hmm. what do we want? We've both got to want this. Yeah. What are your thoughts um, now? So, I think I think Matthew really worries, probably rightly so, about treatment. I, I, you know, IVF is a cruel lottery. It is cruel. Yeah. You know, you roll the dice. You keep your fingers crossed. You you hope for Absolutely. The best. Absolutely.
0: It's yeah. Um, it's a gamble.
1: Yeah. And I don't know. You know this this grief without a loss, which is exactly what this is, this whole fertility thing is a grief without a loss. It's a constant month on month grief mm. when somebody hasn't physically died. And that that's so hard, isn't it? Because if, if somebody in your life dies, you phone the people you love and you say, so-and-so's died and they yeah. get it. You go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. If you phone your boss and say, I've got my period this morning and I'm absolutely <laughs> bereft and heartbroken, they're like, right. okay. <laughs> but I think
0: that the people sure. in our community understand that it yes. doesn't have to be a tangible loss because no. it's the loss of what could have been. It's Absolutely. the loss of your dream and it's mm-hmm. the loss of what you thought was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we all get that. It yeah. is a loss.
1: Yeah. And and it, it's, it's so hard to, you know, when there's nothing tangible that you've lost for people that haven't kind of experienced mm-hmm. this, it's so hard to explain it to them. Mm-hmm. So I think both of us are worried about if we did treatment and it didn't work. And there's lots of people that say, but what if it did? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but you haven't walked the eight years I've walked. Right. Exactly. You know, like you you don't understand the kind of battle wounds that I've got, that we've got as a couple. You don't understand. We've had, you know, late night chats about everything to do with growing our family you've never had to do that you got pregnant by having sex like it's completely different yeah so I think for me if we're gonna do it we've got to make a mind up quickly I'll I'll be 39 in May not really Mm -hmm. old but you know Mm -hmm. when I'm knocking on the door of 40 yeah Um, I hear you I I had my son at 41 Yeah. So I I know I can't leave it too long. I'm looking at, you know, I sort of think, should I just, should we just go down the route of donor eggs? I doubt my eggs are in particularly good quality anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of things sort of, there's a whole spectrum for me of like maybe embryo adoption or donor eggs. And it's, for me, it's definitely not completely off the table, but Matthew and I from very early on in this made a pact that we've both Got to be in it. Mm-hmm. And we've both got to be both feet in it. So we've had a few conversations. And yeah. you know, I've said to him, This is down to you to process a bit more. Like, let's let's not think about it this year. Right. We're living in a pandemic. Right. <laughs> let's get the shit show that's 2020 out of the way. Jesus. And let's go into the new year and maybe start to have some conversations. And then the other thing for us is Fostering, I, I, adoption maybe, but there's there's lots of things for me that I kind of lean towards fostering probably mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And if we can't have birth children, I would love to give children who aren't picked for adoption a family. Um mm-hmm. I'd love to give those kids that were a bit older or come in a sibling group or
0: yeah. have got
1: some more complex needs, um yeah. the family that they deserve, quite frankly, and, and yeah. that, that they should have. So yeah, I think fostering I think the honest thing is fostering for us whether we'd have had birth children would have been on the table anyway. I think we both feel like it's something that everybody should think about. Um, And there's, and there's lots of people that have said that classic line that the infertile community get all the time. Why Mm. don't you just adopt? Yeah. And I started saying back to people, well, why don't you adopt? Because it's not up to people who are infertile. (laughs) Or why don't you just fuck off? (laughs) But also, like, it's not just down to me because I can't have birth children to solve the crisis of adoption. Like, everybody should consider it. Everybody should consider whether they've got the, the room in their family to give it to a child who needs it. So I've started saying... Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll continue to think about adoption as long as you do as well, because whether That's you've awesome. got good semen or good eggs is irrelevant as to whether you should consider adoption. That's <laughs> so, awesome. I love that. Um, and that soon shuts people up. They're a bit like, oh God, yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought I've got birth children, so I shouldn't have to think about adoption. Right. So I think, you know, it, there are kind of options on the table for us, but you know, the other option is we live childless. That yep. That is still something that we talk about as much as having children in our lives that is mm-hmm. still something that we toy around with that's still mm-hmm. something that we say god we've done a whole year childless and not trying would have been wouldn't have been our choice but we've done a whole year we've had a other than, <laughs> other than coronavirus we've had a great year it's yep. you know it's it's we've, we've got through a pandemic without kids as well we've got through all of the kind of external factors of that the world has thrown at everybody this year yeah so I think there's, yeah. there's options on the table for us, but I think to anybody who's listening to this, you know, the grass always looks greener on the other side, but sometimes you get there and you realize it's just grass. And I think, you know, for me, I had to stop looking over the garden fence. I had to stop saying, I want what they've got. I had to stop saying, and and I think we've got to lose this. I've, I did a post about this on Instagram. There's a, there's there's a lot of language in the infertility community that me personally, and this is just my opinion that we have to think about, you know, I didn't give up on being a mum; I had to let it go. Mm -hmm. That language is so different. Like, right. Giving up and letting go is really different language.
0: Absolutely. And
1: I didn't give up, but also this whole thing about, you know, I get people messaging me saying, you're so brave for talking before you've had success Success is such a weird word to use around IVF. I've spoken in the midst of my childlessness. That doesn't make me less successful, doesn't make me less of a woman, doesn't make me less of a person. Mm -hmm. And actually when we start to talk about IVF cycles as success, those couples that have had... 10, 12, three, two, one, six, one, 1 cycle, and it hasn't given them success. The opposite of success is failure. Mm-hmm. So when we use that language, we're saying, well, those people haven't had success. And I think we need to start to challenge that, that conversation. And that's partly what I do mainly through my social media is is put different things out there you know what if I never get the title mummy what does my life look like you know what I didn't give it up I had to let it go we never got our kind of in inverted commas rainbow baby like Mm -hmm. all of those all of those that language that is used and has been used for years I try and dissect it and say hang on a second like what when you say to somebody you're so brave for talking before you've had success What does that do to everybody else in the community who is still, in inverted commas, unsuccessful?
0: Right. (laughs) It's so true. A lot of it is perspective, right? Yes, absolutely. It's perspective. And it's, you're so right about the language. Is, you know, we need to be careful that, you know, things are being put in the the right terms because you can really hurt somebody who's already heartbroken.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's up to us now, present day. We're, yeah, I, I, I feel like this podcast has brought, Uh, that I do with my sister has brought so much joy. Yes. Um, Well, you're finding the funny. Yeah. I can't wait to subscribe to it. Life giving for me. It's, and I know like, you know, when we first started, I, I've never edited anything in my life. I edited it myself. I, you know, I, I've, We've both ploughed hours into this podcast. Right, my sister's got older kids. I would have had a three, four-year-old running around. It would have been so hard for me right. to give that the energy and time that it needed. Exactly. So I start to think, oh, you know, maybe, maybe this is Plan A. Maybe this is what my life was always supposed to look like, mm-hmm. and would i trade it to have a kid yeah probably at this point like you know if if somebody said to me oh you could wake up tomorrow and you'd be pregnant would i would i go for it yeah definitely of course i would i would give anything for that to be my story but for whatever reason at the moment it isn't and i think i've like i say i've got two ways i can live i can either say i'm going to find joy and and i'm going to live life to the full to the max not being a mum or I can choose the other route and the other route for me I've done for the past eight years and it's been horrendous so I you know I don't want to go down that route again
0: okay guys thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Ruth I adore her in case you couldn't tell from our conversation. But Ruth, thank you so much for talking about all that stuff. And thank you all for listening. Guys, definitely go check out her podcast, which is called Finding the Funny. And if you have a moment, you can rate and review not only her podcast, but mine as well. So that's the way that, you know, we get more listeners and we spread these stories around more. So thank you guys so much. And I will talk to you next time.